Okay, good evening. Good evening. A thank you to Mr. and Mrs. Gershon and Sippy Zwerin, sponsoring tonight's cheer in honor of the yard site of their grandmothers, Chaya Batia Bas Yoel Sender and Kayla Bas Yisrael, their Neshamo should have an Aliyah. Amen. A thank you as well to Luli Horowitz, who's co-sponsoring the shir this evening. And she's doing so in honor of the yard site of her sister, Yochevid Shifra Bas Yisrael, her Neshamo should have an Aliyah. Amen. Okay, so we're here at part two of OCD, Anxiety, and Halacha. And tonight, we will delve into some of the, the ways of identifying OCD. Behaviors or thoughts that might be uh, the source of anxiety within ourselves, within our children, within our students. Last week we spoke about the general attitude, what we're striving for, that although we very much believe in Ashrei Adam Mefache Tamid, that we should be alive and conscious and concerned about doing the right thing in the right way, but it should not be this intensity and anxiety. Ideally, we're striving for simcha and kalos haguf. That was the expression of the Tferis Yisrael. Inner contentment, satisfaction, serenity, and kalos haguf. We're relaxed, we're chilled out, we take life seriously, but we're not living with an unhealthy intensity. So how do we identify symptoms or behaviors of OCD? So according to the dsm 4 the basic definition of obsessive-compulsive disorder is built upon the presence of two factors. Shockingly, what are those two factors? Obsessions and compulsions. <laughs> Meaning to say that the person experiences reoccurring anxiety-provoking thoughts, those are obsessions, which then induce the person to behave in a manner to address those fears, and the action, the behavior that I feel compelled to do, those are compulsions. So, two examples. If there is a persistent concern and fear that robbers are going to come into my house, that could be an obsession. The compulsion is constantly checking my door to make sure that it's locked. Or, if there's an ongoing fear regarding germs or the cleanliness of my hands, that could be an obsession, thoughts that are bothering me and, and, and taking away from my menuchas and And the compulsion would be to wash my hands frequently. It is interesting, before COVID, when you saw someone open the door like this, you would say to yourself, I feel bad. <laughs> now it's so normal, so normal. But that's the basic definition of OCD. Does religion cause OCD? And in particular, does the life of frumkeit, observance and shmiras hamitzvos, does that lend itself to obsessive compulsive behavior? There are so many obligations, nuances, details, how to do things, when to do things, when not to do things. 
So does halacha create more anxiety and almost fuel the fire of OCD? The answer is no. OCD latches on to religious practice because the way OCD works is that which I view as important in my life, that which I take seriously, regardless of religion, of your focus, in the academic world, in the athletic world, in the musical realm, anything that you feel is precious and important and you define your success based on this area of life, so then if I have the tendency for OCD, it'll come out in that area of life that I care about the most. So that's why when it comes to Jewish law, you'll find a lot of ramifications, manifestations of OCD. Now it's interesting, we have here a list. This is from the International OCD Foundation. It has a list of some of the most common forms of OCD that we find within halacha. First is kosher laws in general, and then especially when Pesach comes. Afilu mashuhu shel chametz, even a little bit of chametz you have to avoid. The laws of Shabbos, right? There are many, many details, and it comes up every week. Ritual purity, laws regarding to nida, to mikvah, especially when it comes to issues of, of checking or avoiding chatzitza when one goes into the mikvah. The body should be clean from having any disturbance between the actual guf and the mayim. So that's another area where OCD can and does come out. Preparations for tefillah. We learned not that long ago in our Dirshu study in Simon Ayin Vav where it speaks about cleanliness before tefillah or after using the bathroom getting ready to daven. That could also take on very aggressive forms of anxiety-provoking obsessions and compulsions. One is not supposed to daven if they have to use the bathroom. Now, what happens when you ask yourself as you're about to daven, do I have to go to the bathroom? The answer is usually yes. When you focus on something, especially if I have that tendency to be overly concerned, and this is an area of life that's important to me, and I know if I really have to go to the bathroom during davening, it's referred to as a toeva. That prayer is not really accepted. You can see how that could really play games with the mind. Careful articulation, enunciation, when it comes to davening, saying a bracha, saying shema, I had a, uh, a young mother who shared with me that her son, when he went to high school, he wasn't that involved or enthusiastic about learning and halacha and mitzvos. But she said sometime towards the end of ninth grade, he really got into things. And his Esrei, which used to be, you know, if he davened, it would be about 24 seconds. Right, one of the I 
amazing. She said, towards the end of ninth grade, he would be davening Shmon Esrei for about 15 minutes, concentrating on each and every word. And initially, my husband and I were shepping so much nachas. But then we realized, looking at him as he was davening, he didn't seem to be in a very healthy place. It seemed to be more of this, this very difficult avoda that he was putting himself through. And it wasn't coming from this radiance of Simcha Sachayim and Yira Shemayim. It was coming from, from a fear, from an anxiety of needing to come through and, and, and do it in the right way. Otherwise, I'll, I'll, it'll plague me the entire day. So when it comes to careful articulation, enunciation of the words in davening and brachos, having kavana in our tfilos, that's another area. Nedarim, making a vow, is also something that could lend itself to obsessive thoughts. We know the halacha is, for example, if somebody comes into shul and they're collecting money, and I have in mind, even though I don't say anything, I don't verbalize my vow, but I have in mind bahachlata, which means I'm, I'm saying with conviction, I'm going to give that guy a dollar. And then I look down for a moment and he's no longer here. That counts as a vow. When it comes to giving tzedakah, even a machshava, even a thought, if you really mean it, has the status of a vow. So then I could keep on asking myself, did I, did I really mean it? Did I actually say it? <clears throat> How much confidence was there when I thought I said it in my mind? And therefore maybe the, the need to say bli neder. Whenever I agree to do something, if I'm concerned about this taking on the status of a vow, then I'll make sure to say bli neder. And that itself becomes this ongoing strain and, and, and draining of abchis. There was one point in our family where, for some reason, my, my older daughters kept on saying, chas v'shalom. And it got to the point where I made a, a decree in my house. Starting from right now, nobody's allowed to say chas v'shalom anymore. <laughs> That's a good move. <laughs> because what happens is we get into this mindset that's, that's almost superstitious. If I don't say chas v'shalom, then maybe it's going to happen. And last but not least, the over-asking rabbinic authorities. Asking the question, receiving the answer, but then always wondering, did, did, he, did the rabbi really understand what I was asking fully? And if you replay the conversation in your mind, often you, know, you might think, I, I did leave out this point, and I forgot to mention this. And it could be if I shared with him the, the fuller picture, it would be a different answer. Or maybe he did answer, but I, I'm not 100% sure what he said. Right, so these are all areas of religious life and halacha, where if a person has a tendency towards OCD, it could latch on to many of these examples. Now superficially, 
it's difficult to distinguish between a religious observance and the compulsion. How do I know if I'm just being very careful and meticulous in, in how I wash my hands before <coughs> eating bread? I'm trying to wash my hands in the correct way. And I want to wash the entirety of each hand. And when do I start assuming there might be something else going on? And if it's not within my own head, but I'm looking at my child or my student, at what point do I say, maybe he or she, maybe they're being too careful. Maybe there's something else going on. So I'll share with you three guidelines that we find both in the literature on the subject from a mental health perspective, and then also from the Hashkafa perspective. Three basic guidelines. Number one, if I find myself doing something very carefully, but it's at the expense or the sacrifice of other religious, moral, or spiritual obligations, that's an indication that maybe it's not coming from a healthy source. So for example, in the American Journal of uh, Psychotherapy, when it speaks about this concept of OCD and how it relates to Judaism, it gives the following case. Compulsive behavior went beyond the letter of Jewish law. Right? This is asking our clinical, uh, arising out of our clinical observations, we found that compulsive behavior could be distinguished from religious ritual in the following ways. Number one, compulsive behavior went beyond the letter of Jewish law. And here's the example. John was so concerned to prevent mixing meat and milk that he transgressed the laws of Shabbos. Now, it's funny because John wasn't Jewish. It's a funny name to use in this context because the next name is Zachariah, right? You would have thought the guy editing the paper would have said, you know, if you're speaking about religious Jews, maybe don't use John. Zechariah repeated the most important line of the prayer, Shema Yisrael, over and over again, even though in Jewish law, the halacha is, you should not say Shema twice. Because you're almost giving off the impression that I believe in different forces, different powers. So that's one uh, indication if I'm doing something with so much um, concern that it's taking away from other obligations, maybe not coming from a healthy source. Number two, if my intense focus is in one particular area, but it doesn't reflect my overall level of concern for halacha. So for example, there are certain parts of the of the tefillah of Shmona Esrei that I feel pressured to make sure to enunciate well and to articulate every single word. So why am I doing that? Well, if I analyze the way I say a bracha in general before I have a cup of coffee, am I as careful? Am I as careful with the need to really have kavana in the words that I'm saying? If the answer is, no, I'm not that careful, and there are many areas of life where I'm not yet on that level of, of, of consciousness 
in my performance of mitzvos. So then I have to ask, why in this particular area am I so concerned? That's another potential uh, red flag that it's not coming from a healthy place. The third uh, indication is if what I'm more focused on or more concerned about, if it's a typical form of OCD, meaning it's in the realm of cleanliness, of, of washing, of being careful not to touch certain parts of my clothing that might require washing hands, if it's issues of ruach ra, trying to get rid of that spiritual... Um, how do you translate ruach ra? Yeah, I guess so. Trying to get rid of ruach ra. We'll stick with that. So if it's in that realm where this is a very common area for OCD to latch onto, that's another third indication that it's not coming from the healthiest place. I think probably the most clear way of identifying, either within myself or within someone I care about, that their ability or their, their desire to be meticulous is coming from an unhealthy source, is to try to climb into what's motivating this action. Is it that you have a desire to connect with Hashem or there's just this you know, <coughs> feeling of this is my obligation as a Jew and this is what I do. I might not be in the highest levels of the vacus and spirituality, but this is what I do. Or, or am I overly concerned about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it to alleviate an anxiety that I'm feeling? There's a pressure within me. There's an intensity. There's a pachad. And the reason I'm trying so hard to enunciate this tefillah or to wash in this particular way is to resolve some of those, those feelings of intensity, that's a very clear indication that it's not coming from a healthy Yerushamayim. It's coming from, from, uh, from a different source. I want to read to you on page 5. This is a, a beautiful sefer, Sason Libi, written by Rishraga Neuberger Shlita from Ner Yisrael in Baltimore. He has one short chapter where he speaks about discerning within young men who are attending yeshiva if their behaviors are coming from yirashamayim amitis, true awareness of Hashem and living with that presence, or if it's coming from a place that's l'choli hanefesh and daiga, it's worry and concern. He writes, Matsinu Harbei Pamim Eitzel Bene Torah Tsairim. We find often with young uh, yeshiva students, Shehem Holchim Bepachad Veyira Lechol Davar. There is this desire to want to do everything in the correct way. Veheim Malbishim Hanhagazu Almidas Yira Shemayim. And the way this behavior is clothed is in the guise of Yira Shemayim. Vigam hahorim vahamorim, and sometimes even the parents, the teachers, who are experiencing the child's need for being meticulous in, in mitzvos, they might think mistakenly, 
Vanhoges habana mikoach yirishemayim amitis, that it's coming from a true wellspring of yirishemayim. So how do you know where it's coming from? Explains Rabbi Neuberger. He says, we have a Pasuk in Mishle. Shlomo HaMelech tells us, Yiras Hashem Tosif Yomim. Real, healthy, vibrant Yiras Hashem is Tosif Yomim. It adds to your life. It adds that vitality and that energy of life. And the Vilna Gon explains, Kasher HaOdem Tomid Be'yira Be'pachad if a person is living with anxiety and fear, chayav enam chayim, his life is in life. All of that energy that could be channeled for, for so many beautiful and powerful things, it's being squelched. However, yiras Hashem tosef yomim, real yiras Hashem adds life. Ve'eno kishar hayiros upachadim, and the Vilna Gon explains, and this is exactly what we spoke about last week. Although it's called Yirash Shemayim, or although we have that Pasuk of Ashrei Adam Mefachei Tamid, when we speak of Yira and Pacha, although translated it could be fear, worry, there are very different types of Yira and Pacha. If it's a Yira and Pacha coming from anxiety, from daiga, from feelings of guilt or, or, or instability or, or feeling a lack of, of, of worth and having to prove myself to others, that form of Yira and Daiga explains the Vilna Gaon, that squelches life. Yira and Daiga, in the proper sense, when it's channeled towards truth, that doesn't make me want to just crawl under my covers and hide. That doesn't take away my, my desire to, to really live and, and, and embrace the moment, but it's Tosef Yomim. Real, healthy Yerushimayim only adds and enhances life. So Neubiger says, oftentimes you could see within a child, what is his mentality? Why is she being so careful with the way she dresses? Well, maybe she was inspired. And maybe she really wants to be more at Sanua, and that's beautiful. But maybe it's coming from a different source. How do we know? It's based on watching carefully. It's based on having open conversations. What's going on within your mind and your heart as you're taking these steps forward? Are these a healthy expression of, of wanting to, to have more of a commitment to Hashem? Or are the indications that you're trying to resolve some kind of inner turmoil? He concludes in this piece. He says, Oftentimes, you just have a conversation in this regard. It'll become very clear where this drive is coming from. And oftentimes, Sometimes the solution is speaking to someone, right? Someone who's trained in this field of being able to help with your anxiety, with your OCD, helping you discover what's actually going on inside and allowing you to live a healthier, healthier life. 
So what I want to do is at least set the foundation for how do we how do we work on overcoming OCD and anxieties relating to obsessive thoughts and compulsions. I want to lay the foundation. We'll get into some of the, the details in Ritzeshem next time. We'll go through some of what the, the research tells us from the mental health world and then understanding how the Das Torah guides us in, uh, in making life easier and more enjoyable. But what we've done so far this evening is we've spoken about how to distinguish between healthy religious observance, being medactic bahalacha in contrast to uh, anxiety and worry. Now we'll lay the foundation for how do we work on this within our lives? How do we help people that we love who are struggling in this area? The Mishnah tells us, that you have to acquire a friend. What's the purpose of having a good friend? So the Rabbeinu Yon explains there are three main goals, but I want to focus only on one. Le'inyin ha'etza, regarding advice, that we could have real conversations with each other, I could share my life and my, my inner world with you, and oftentimes you might have more of a clarity regarding my situation than I have about myself. Right? How often are you able to give great advice to someone who might be going through a similar situation that you are, but when it comes to yourself, you just feel somewhat lost? When you're asking me what to do, I could tell you all the chachm in the world. When it comes to me, sometimes you need that, that different perspective. So explains their Bediyona, the goal of having a friend is that you could have real conversations, you could have open communication, and you could help each other in life. This is the foundation of working on OCD, on anxiety. The truth is it's not limited to this arena. This is the foundation to work on anything and everything, which is being able to open up to someone that you know cares about you. They could be there for you and you could be there for them. Shlomo HaMelech writes this in Mishlei, Daga belev ish yashchena. Literally that means when there's worry in the heart of a man, yashchena is to squelch it. What does Yashchena, though, actually mean? So the Gemara in Yuma has two interpretations. The first is, Yashchenu midaito. Try to get it out of your mind. Now, this doesn't mean when someone comes to you and they share, you know what, I'm just, I'm so anxious recently. I'm having such a hard time, you know, socially, having conversations with people. At Kiddush, I find myself feeling afraid to go over and join a conversation. If you were to respond, yes, get over it, snap out of it, he probably wouldn't come to you anymore with his problems, right? What does yes, actually mean? The Gemara is telling us 
there are ways, there are modalities, there are machshavos or meditations. There are things we can do to try internally to transcend some of those, those blockages. We're not going to delve into what they might be, but that's the first pshat in the Gemara. There are ways of working through and transcending daiga. But I want to focus, though, on the second pshat. The second interpretation of this word, yashchenu, explains the Gemara is, yashchenu la'acherin, which means to share, to speak about it with others. Yashchenu la'acherin. Daiga belev ish, if there's worry within your heart, there's anxiety, yashchenu la'acherin, share it with others. Explains the Peleoites that although in the Gemara it sounds like these are two separate interpretations, they're both true. There are ways we can learn to push through and transcend certain anxieties. And more often than not, we have to also grab on to Yasichenu Lacherim, taking advantage of good friends. That good friend could be a spouse, it could be an acquaintance that you have a lot in common with and now you want to open up on a deeper level. But sharing what's happening within can be a game changer. Now who do I share it with? Listen to the words of the Peleoites. If I can't really get through what's bothering me, Share it with others. Don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. Dehainu. Now he specifies who should I share it with. Talmidei chachamim. Option number one. Always a good option. Right? A Torah scholar who hopefully has a grasp of, of human nature who could be helpful. V'an sheimada. Or people who are well-versed and experienced within the, the human psyche. Even if they're not Talmidei Chachamim, but they're Anshei Mada, they're people who I could confide in. Sheyedu l'saknu tova. They're able to give you direction, they're able to share insight. V'yadabru lo devarim hamavatlim hadaiga. And they could share words with you that could help nullify the worry. U'meshivim eshalev and return your heart to a place of serenity. So obviously, if you have those types of people available, Talmidei Chachamim or Anshei Mada, people who understand the human soul, that's obviously the best. But let's say I don't have that person readily available. Do I therefore just keep it in and suffer alone? Listen to the words of the Bermayim Chaim, one of the great Hasidic sources going back to the 18th century. The Ber Mayim Chaim explains that just saying the words, giving verbal expression to the feelings, to the saras hanefesh, to that storm that's happening within me, just expressing it verbally can be healing. When I share with you my pain, my anxiety, and it's no longer trapped within my mind, but now I'm, I'm sharing it. 
Yakil ha-daiga min ha-leib. Somehow, suddenly, that daiga, it's not cured, but it's now lighter. It's not as much of a burden as it was before. In contrast to, if I choose to keep it in, and I'm not going to share it with you because I don't feel comfortable, or I don't feel that you'll look at me in the same way, or if people find out that I'm struggling in this area, maybe that's going to jeopardize my shidduch in the future. If I allow any of those social constructs to stand in the way of, of, of really maximizing my life and, my, and my, my energy, if I keep it in, so then, then that pain will only deepen, causing more tsar, because it's only within you. So the foundation for healing, the first step before we explore Mitzvah next time, the different ideas and etzahs and insights that we have in dealing with this area of struggle, the first step is encouraging ourselves and encouraging others to be open about the struggle. This is nothing to be ashamed of. Just like if my lower back is hurting, that was not a shtach and yuchanan Just like if there's a part of the body that's not working the way it should, I'm not going to feel embarrassed to, to, to share with you, you know what, it's funny, I really am not walking well. Or whenever I sit at the desk, for some reason, the computer messes with my eyes, I'm having a hard time seeing. Any ideas? I'm not embarrassed to share that with you. In that same way, in that same light, with that same candid expression of just sharing what's going on in my world with you, mental health is not a different sugya. It's not a different category. It's all what's taking place within me. And I need you to share that with. And when I do, it's a different pain. It's not as lonely. It's not as severe. Because I know you're there for me and I could be there for you. So this is the foundation we'll leave off with for now. And Amrit Hashem next time, we'll explore some of the technical ideas, suggestions, and guidance from Gedola Yisrael. Have a wonderful evening.